have at least two different proteins that you're going to vary between for those three days, two different carbohydrates, and then maybe two to three even more vegetables that you're going to have. Then you can mix and match them. If you want to live like you matter, ditch the pills, look great, and feel freaking amazing, you're in the right place. I'm Dr. Wendy Trubo. I'm Dr. Ed Levitan. Welcome to the Five Journeys Podcast. Where we empower you to live a vibrant and healthy life by optimizing your structural, chemical, emotional, social, and spiritual lives. Hang on to your hats. Welcome back to the Five Journeys Podcast. We are really privileged today to have Stacy back for episode number two. Stacy's a registered dietitian nutritionist who studied at the University of Delaware and is currently pursuing her master's degree in functional medicine. She's worked on organic farms in Hawaii and Italy and is passionate about learning and reteaching other sustainable agriculture and holistic healing through whole foods and lifestyle. Welcome back, Stacy. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to be here again. Yeah, we had a lot of fun last time talking, so we want to have you back and change subjects a little in terms of still talk about food, because why not? Because well, it's Food amazing. is life. <laughs> Can't <laughs> right. live without it. Um, but we want to kind of switch the subject to cooking, because that's a huge challenge for a lot of people, whether they're single and cooking for themselves or trying to cook for the whole family. Let's start with people who don't like to cook. How do we simplify getting food on the table that's whole and natural for those people? Right. So st I first always ask and feel people out for what the biggest barriers are for them. Because everyone comes from a different background of how they grew up with food. I think that's number one is thinking about how you grew up. Did your parents prepare all your meals? Did they go out to eat a lot? Um, what kinds of foods were they eating? I think that's the biggest barrier. Is were if you they didn't eating grow sloppy up joes, that. right? I right. eat sloppy joes. What's wrong with sloppy joes? <laughs> Can canned corn and canned beans. <laughs> Yummy. Right. And, you know, the era too, depending what age you grew up in. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing is looking at what their relationship is based on how they grew up. I always kind of feel that out when we talk in our sessions and I know how to kind of uh, gear it towards them. It's really about meeting the people where they're at. So how can I help them like to cook? And what are the barriers? So that's the main one. Other things would be time. So we hear that all the time. None of us have time to think about ourselves after work and after taking care of our kids and running here and there and, you know, everything else. So time is definitely a big barrier. Um, family preferences. So if you have a large family and you have a bunch of different kids that have different food preferences, that can get really difficult. So I often hear parents say, I have to make three meals. That never happens. Kids aren't kids are never picky. Come on. <laughs> right. You, you must have you must be straight. Right. That's a whole nother topic for another day. But um basically how can we combine that? So, you know, the mom or dad doesn't have to cook three different meals. We can find things that everyone likes. And then money, you know, money's a big thing too, is trying to shop on a budget without it having to be lacking in quality or nutrient density. So I think those are really the biggest barriers to cooking or liking to cook. And what about people who say, I just don't like cooking? Do you have any tips and techniques for them? Yeah. So, well, then I, I ask them, well, what do you like to eat? You know, like if you went out anywhere, where would you go? What kind of cuisine do you like? 
And then I try to figure out how can I make this super easy for them. Sometimes you might have to start them out on a meal kit company, which there's a lot of great ones out there now, which we can talk about later. So maybe something like that or going out, we look at meals together in our sessions and figure out, okay, how can I make this really simple? Um, to kind of bridge that gap of the daunting feeling of having to cook everything by themselves. If they've never turned on an oven, if they've never turned on the stove, you know, it can be very, very daunting. So starting there, again, meeting them where they're at, even if we have to start with like frozen meals in the frozen section of the store that have better ingredients, at least that's somewhere to start where they actually are in the act of heating the food up. They're doing something to prepare it, at least in some sense. So sometimes we take baby steps and sometimes they're ready and they're all in to just learn. So let's say a person actually wants to cook. How much do you have a rule of thumb of how long you would say per person or how long is the prep time that you would need? And how do you make it the least? Right. So it depends on the size of the family. So let me give you a little bit of background on me. When I was finishing high school, my mom came up with this idea that she wanted everyone to cook one night of the week. So she was busy. My stepdad was busy. You know, everyone's busy. But if we could help take that load off and also, you know, take some of the responsibility, that was great. So I didn't like that idea because I didn't, all I wanted to do was go hang out with friends after school. I didn't want to worry about cooking dinner for my family, but it did help. Um, And then we kind of figured out from there how long it would take. So if I didn't prepare ahead of time, I'd at least look in the fridge that morning and say, okay, I'm going to throw together this frozen vegetable, this meat, and then this this other thing, sweet potatoes or something. So that's kind of, I had to know how much the family was going to eat. And my family ate a lot. So I knew I was always going to have to make extra. So I would start there. Um, but for the average person, if it was just like a couple, a single person or a couple, I'd say kind of Um, block out like two hours of meal prep at least each week, which isn't that bad when you think about two hours out of the entire week to prepare things. Because there's a lot of easy tips and tricks that we'll go over using frozen, using different canned items, even different gadgets. I can tell you about like the easiest methods if you want to start there. So I remember I was watching um, some kind of show You know, they always have the on the PBS, they show like different methods of cooking and different um, besides food network. They have like people come on chefs and things like that. And there was this one lady. I don't remember her name, but she had a whole cookbook on cooking with sheet pans. And I was like, how could you have that many recipes with one simple sheet pan? Right. But she was cooking everything. And I was like, that is pretty genius. If you can figure out one one um, piece of equipment that you can cook all these different things on. And you have multiple racks in the oven, things like that. So that kind of changed my whole perspective on, well, how can I do this with other things that I already have in the kitchen? So I started looking into sheet pan meals. You can cook pretty much your protein, your vegetable, and your carb all on one tray. And that's, you know, a couple meals right there. Casserole dishes don't have to be for that gross tuna casserole that (laughs) your mom might have made growing up. It can be other things. I love like um, shepherd's pie with sweet potato instead of regular potato. That's something you can do that has, I always look for the protein, vegetable, and carb. And then other things like skillets. Um, Some people like to just do a saucepan. If you're doing like um, soups and stews, slow cookers have always, they've been a big thing in the past like 20, 30 years, but now they have instant pots, which is like 
instant food. My best friend. Exactly. And then air fryers too. And now they have things that are all combined. Air fryer, instant pot, you know, convection oven. I hadn't heard that. Don't don't start, please. I I can look up what it's called. I know we have a lot of patients that are very savvy with all of this. And, you know, every year for the holidays, there's a new gadget that's highlighted each year. So if you can get rid of other ones, because the counter space gets kind of thin at some point, right? We can't have all of these gadgets because there's no room. And then they end up collecting dust. Meanwhile, it, you know, it costs a lot of money to get a big appliance. So um, personally, my favorite and most recent that I've had is the Instant Pot. Uh, it's a little scary at first because when you think of pressure cookers, I know my grandma told me, you know, back when they came out, I don't know when that was, there was a lot of things that were going wrong, like things exploding and, you know, damage and stuff. But now they've pretty much perfected it. You press a button, you you look it up on Google, how to do it, and you're set. So in the beginning, it can be a little daunting. I always say if um, somebody's getting it for their elderly parents to go over it with them first, so it doesn't seem so scary. Um, And then once you know it, it's like nothing. It just has become so easy. So I know it's kind of a long-winded answer, but those are the best methods that I've seen. Um, And I'm sure there's plenty more. So can we drill into that? What's one or two examples that two hours I can prep, that I can have three days of meals? Like, what does that look like? So let's focus on like lunches and dinners, because those are pretty interchangeable, right? So I say have at least two different proteins that you're going to vary between for those three days, um, two different carbohydrates, and then maybe two to three even more vegetables that you're going to have. Then you can mix and match them. So let's give examples. Say we're going to do chicken, we're going to do rice, and then we're going to do broccoli. That's one full meal there. Um, and then you can kind of do the same thing with maybe you're going to have fish as your second protein. Then you're going to have sweet potatoes as your other carb. And then you're going to have uh, some salad or something like that or asparagus as your other vegetables. So now you have two of each, right? So now you can mix and match them. So maybe for lunch, you, you have a tray of the chicken, you have a tray of the rice, you have a tray of the broccoli, and the same goes for the fish and the sweet potato and the other vegetable. Is this all cooked? Yeah. So you cook it all at one time. So you cook it all on Sunday. You can take from it and portion it out ahead of time. So if you get enough Tupperware, nice glass Tupperware, you can keep them in the fridge to be all organized. But for me, I'm a little bit lazy. I just keep them in the trays, in in the fridge. And then I take from it each day. So for example, today I had ground turkey with kale and sweet potato. And that's something that I prepped over the weekend. Um, But I also made rice. But today I just felt like I wanted the sweet potato instead of the rice. And if I wanted something different than the kale, I would take the, um, I don't know, roasted broccoli or Brussels sprouts that I had instead of the kale. Does that make sense? You're just kind of taking um, from different, like you have the option to switch it up so you don't get bored and you make enough for the three days to where you can mix it up. The breakfast is usually a little bit different. I mean, you can take from those if you want, but breakfast, I feel like, is usually on the fly for most people, and it's something that you can easily make in in like 10 or 15 minutes. So that's not something you really need to prep unless you're somebody who needs like a bigger breakfast each day. And then you would take that into account, too. There's plenty of easy recipes um, for breakfast as well. I mean, that, okay. what you're talking to is really planning the meals ahead of time and having the ingredients at least if not cooking them. Right. And it 
doesn't have to be strict though. Like you don't have to know we're going to have burgers and this and this. Just know you have them there for if uh, the day is really crazy, you can just toss them in. Is there any tips to like kind of planning uh, ahead of time, like thinking about the week? Is there any... A pick list. You're talking about a pick list. Yeah, like... So definitely knowing preferences for the family is helpful because then you don't have to cook a bunch of different meals if it gets on the plate and they say, we don't want this, right? That's pretty frustrating. So having some time with everyone to say, like, maybe not get everyone's input because then it's going to get a little too crazy. But maybe when you're at the store with uh, one of your kids, um, have them pick something out that they like. Um, Or just knowing, like, okay, we had pasta this day, but we'll have something else this day. So they don't get bored with it either. Um, I think it's more about knowing their preferences right off the bat and kind of knowing how to have variety is important too. Because I know if I was eating chicken all the time, like if we had chicken every single night as a kid, I would get very upset about that and I wouldn't want to eat it. I would be like, I'm just going to go to a friend's house or something like that or grandma's house because I don't want chicken again. So I think it's variety is really important. Um, Knowing that you're going to have a few different sources of each component um, to make sure that it doesn't get boring and that they're within your family's food preferences. I usually try to pair if I know that one or two of my kids won't eat one thing, then I try to have something else on the table that I know they're going to eat. And I don't really care if all you eat is squash for dinner one night. I'm not going to pick a fight with that. Right, right. So could you, if you allocated your two hours for the couple to prep, can you do prep for a week on Sunday? Or is it too far ahead of time to do your prepping? And when you say prep, what are you referring to? Yeah. So the way that I usually recommend it is try to do at least for the next three days, because we also don't want things sitting in the fridge for that long of a time either, especially if somebody has sensitivity to mold or yeast or something like that. We tell them not to really keep leftovers longer than three days. So I usually say meal prepping for three solid days of food. So that would be three meals times three days. Um, And then I would say, depending where you're at in that time of the week, do another couple meals if you can for the rest of the week until you get to the weekend, then it's a little bit different. And then you you could take into account if you're going to be eating out at work, like some people order at work, um, or if somebody else is going to be preparing your meal, if you're going out or you're going to a friend's house or your parents or something. So kind of look ahead of the week and try to make at least three days of food. Um, so that would be the Sunday before. How do you translate this into hypothetically speaking, a family with four children where in-laws might eat over frequently. So we're looking at feeding eight people at any given meal, hypothetically speaking, asking for a friend. How would you do that? Because I have honestly yet to manage prepping for more than a day, given the sheer volume of food. When you talk about prepping for three days, the amount of food that you just went through is the amount we go through in one meal. So how do you do that? Yeah, it's like batch cooking, right? At that point, it kind of has to be batch cooking. And that's why something like the Instant Pot or Air Fryer is so good, because you can make a huge thing of rice or a huge thing of all the sweet potatoes in there at the same time. Um, Something else that I would say for that is to have things maybe ready to cook like that night. If you feel like you're not going to be able to prep it all ahead of time, 
kind of have it planned out in your mind. Okay, we're going to do, maybe we're going to do frozen burgers today. They're going to be a good quality, but we're just going to throw them in the air fryer last minute. You can do that? Oh, yeah. You put them right in the air fryer. Don't, that's pretty much it. And flip them over. Same thing with the sweet potatoes. You can um, do just frozen vegetables. You can dump them in the air fryer and they're done in 15 minutes. So I think that's the other thing is having grace with knowing like, I don't have, I'm not going to have everything regimented, but at least I have them in the fridge or in the freezer that I know I can cook them quick. And I think that's really important because it's probably not feasible for most people to take Sunday. If you're cooking for four plus people, to, that's going to be more than two hours of cooking, of you know, batch cooking all of that stuff for the week. So it's more about having in mind what you can just throw together last minute because life comes at you and you never know what's going to happen. So as long as you're prepared and have them in the fridge and freezer, that's honestly the best thing that you can do. Is there anything you have to be mindful of when you put like how long things stay in the fridge? Yes. So let's talk about just storage in general, because that can also be kind of daunting. If you have a big family, you probably will go things quick through, through things quickly, right? I, I doubt that you have things lying around unless it's something that nobody liked. And it, it takes trial and error to get into a rhythm of knowing, like if this is the first time somebody's meal prepping, they're not going to get it right off the bat unless they have a gift or something like that. So um, if something goes to waste, compost it or give it to a friend or something, find somebody to eat it or get chickens or bring it to a local farm. Um, so, you know, you don't feel bad about it going to waste. And then, you know, okay, we're not going to make that dish again. So that's something good to note there. But yeah, let's talk about storage. So first of all, we want to make sure that we're putting food in the right containers. So I know in our practice, we always talk about glass, things like that, no plastics or anything, especially with heat. We don't want any plastics leaching into our food disrupting our endocrine system. We get enough, you know, toxic waste as it is, just like touching plastics and breathing in the air. We don't need it every day, you know, in our food. Um, especially if we're using hot food, it's going to leach right into that or um, hot food in plastic containers. So uh, glass is pretty safe. Make sure you have lids that seal pretty tightly. I know that, um, we tend to lose lids a lot. So, you know, do your best to keep it organized and make sure that the lids fit well, because if they don't, that's when bacteria and, and mold and stuff comes in. So make sure you get lids that seal really well. Um, some people like to use mason jars. That's glass with the secure lids on top as well. So kind of just playing around with glass um, containers, making sure you're cooling things properly. So don't take something that's boiling hot put it into the glass container and then put it in the fridge or freezer because what that does is it brings down the temperature of the fridge or freezer, which then puts all the other food at risk for getting, you know, bacteria in the temperature danger zone, which is 41 degrees or higher. So make sure your fridge is definitely below that at all times <laughs> if you can. So wait, so you put your hot food into your glass container, you let it cool down do you put the lid on before it cools? Do you put the lid on after it cools? Does it matter? Good question. After. You want it to kind of, um, if you put a lid on, it's going to retain the heat, right? So you kind of want to just leave it open. Um, let, you know, leave it out until it cools. The best thing to do is put them in shallow containers because the shallower something is, the faster it'll cool, right? Because there's not as much to cool. Um, and then, so if it even helps get, like I have um, big 
like casserole dishes that I put it in and then let it cool in there. And then you could portion it out into other containers if you want, or just store it like that, which is what I usually do. Um, and then you want to, don't want to leave it out for longer than probably two hours. It should be cooled by that point. And then you can put it in the fridge or freezer. So number one food we do not want to freeze is some is meat that we've already thawed. Right. So like if you had frozen beef or something like or a steak and you thawed it out and you're like, oh, wait, I don't want this anymore. We don't want to put that back into the freezer because bacteria has probably already started to gather on it. We want to cook it first. Then you can freeze it again if you want to. After letting it cool. After letting it cool. Yes. Cooling is a given at this point. So that's kind of the number one thing. Things that don't freeze well would be things with high moisture content, like vegetable wise. So if you've ever tried, if you were doing an experiment or you just didn't know and you froze a salad, you probably know that the leafy greens taste horrible when you take it out because they have higher water content. So things like cucumbers too and and zucchini and all of that, it doesn't really freeze well. But if you cook things and they're in soups and stews, that's pretty easy to freeze. Um, If you blanch vegetables, meaning you kind of cook them and then kind of uh, put them in a bowl with ice water to kind of shock them. They're pretty good for freezing as well. Another tip for freezing, especially I, I noticed this with bananas the hard way. My dad would freeze banana. Like he, if the bananas were getting bad, he would just put the banana in there. And then he's like, oh, you can make a smoothie. There's frozen bananas. And I would take it and my hands would start burning because I was trying to peel this banana. And I'm like, how do you do this? And so... I learned you cut up the banana first, then you freeze it and and it's in slices and then it's easy to just throw into. Peeled. Peeled and cut, right? Peeled. You do not want to take time to to peel a frozen banana. It hurts and it's not fun at all. Um, So the same thing goes here, cutting things up ahead of time, then freezing them. So it's not one big mess that you have to kind of, you know, break up and figure that out. Frozen fruit's awesome though. I always keep frozen fruit. That's honestly where my biggest source of fruit comes from, especially in the winter when we don't really have fresh produce, you know, that I can go pick up fresh berries at the market. I always get, you know, organic frozen um, fruit and put it in a smoothie in the smor- in um, my breakfast or I'll have um, some as a snack. Like I love frozen cherries as a snack. It's like a dessert pretty much. Um, so yeah, frozen fruit's pretty easy. Frozen veggies. Another tip is go to the store and see what's frozen there. Whatever's frozen there, you can do yourself at home pretty much if you want to. Okay. How long do things last once you've stored them properly in the fridge and the freezer? How how long do you keep them? Yes. So like I kind of mentioned before, a rule of thumb for leftovers, I would say, is three days. Once three days hits, you know, it's kind of getting old at that point. It's probably got some kind of mold spores on it just from the air. If you're not going to eat it after three days, I would freeze it. Um, if you are going to eat it, eat it, you know, within the three days. And then as far as the freezer goes, it really depends what it is. It depends on the moisture content, if it's a soup and stew, if it's frozen vegetables. I think a good rule of thumb would be like three months um, for something and then try to try to eat it. And then if you've ever heard of uh, FIFO, first in, first out. That's a good rule of thumb too, is like, if it was in there for a long time, try to bring it to the front because things get, we all know things get stuck in the back of the freezer, in the back of the fridge. They get lost like socks. Yes, exactly. Behind a dryer or in the dryer. 
um, things definitely get lost, especially if your fridge is like, mine's kind of low. And I don't necessarily like go down there every day and look in the back and see what's there. Sometimes I'll find a jar of olive top or something. So um, it's good to kind of know what's there too. If you're really organized in type A, maybe even take an inventory. Some people have um, like a whiteboard on there of what they need and, and what they have or what they're going to have that week. I mean, that's a great way to plan. Like, okay, these are our veggies for the week. These are our starches or carbs for the week. And these are our proteins for the week. That's something good. And then the whole family can see it. Oh, good. This is what we're having. It's like when they go to school and they can see the menu of like what lunches they like the best. It's kind of the same thing. They'll know kind of what's on it, unless you don't want them to know and you want it to be a surprise. That's good too. But for you to know what's in your fridge and freezer is helpful as well. If you're doing this, you're probably an organized person to some extent, right? If you're doing meal prep. So if you want to take it a step further, it's good to know what's in there too. Or they had a consult with Stacy, and Or we're working on it together, right? So say someone's listening to this and they, and at the end of this, they're like, I just can't. What are the options for people who either can't carve out the time, their environment's not supportive, or they're really stopped by the prepping? What, what are some other services or websites that people can use to support themselves in eating healthier? Yeah. So I think one thing that I've noticed that's really helped people is if you don't have the time to do this kind of thing, you probably do have a little bit of time to go on social media, right? Like most of us are on it at least a few minutes a day. There's so many great food bloggers out there um, that post recipes constantly. There's three that I can think of that I love and I always repost on my Instagram because they're consistently making food that is healthy, um, but also cost-effective and looks delicious too. And so if you find people that you really like, that you can follow, um, you know, that's kind of their life is doing that. So they're always coming up with new innovative things that are easy. And most of them are moms, parents, you know. So I would say try to just look into, you know, Instagram has a good algorithm to help you find people that you might like. So finding one of those to keep you, give you some motivation and maybe give you some ideas to start with, to think about. You don't have to do it right now. Just giving you the idea, planting the seed. And then also there's tons of meal kit companies out there now. Um, there's a big market for it because we are such a busy society, but we do want to start eating healthy. Like people are really understanding that their food is so important for prevention. So what would you say your top three to five? So there's a couple different categories. There's assembly serve. So they give you basically products that you would just throw together or there's, they teach you how to cook. So there, there's all of the ingredients portioned out and then you actually have to cook it. Or there's ones that are frozen. There's, that's kind of the three that I've been able to find. So one is Hungry Root. That's one that a lot of our patients really like. That's the one that's more assembly serve. So it's not really cooking everything, but they're giving you everything you need to just throw together and have a meal. So that's one. Um, as far as ones that are frozen, ready to go, you just heat it up. You can bring it to work and heat it up there. I really like fresh and lean because their ingredients are pretty good and they have uh, different types of diets too. So if you're doing gluten-free, um, dairy-free, paleo, things like that, uh, I think they even have maybe vegan or vegetarian. So I try to find ones that have multiple options because so many of our patients are on different diets. So that's the frozen. And then the last one that I was mentioning, oh, is the cook, the one that you cook kind of like HelloFresh 
or Blue Apron. But the healthier version is called Green Chef. And that one kind of teaches you how to cook. If you kind of want to dedicate some time to that, that's a good one too. So those are my top three. So Hungry Root, Fresh and Lean, and Green Chef. And if we can probably drop the links in the podcast details if you guys want to see those. Oh, wait, last one. See a dietitian. <laughs> so if you don't, you know, if you don't know where to start, see a dietitian um, that is going to work with you and meet you where you're at. That is my number one goal when I'm working with my patients. I'm not going to give them unrealistic expectations. I'm not going to have unrealistic expectations with them because everyone starts somewhere different. So see a dietitian, talk to them, um, feel it out, and helps. it'll help give you motivation to see where you can go with it. Yeah, and I'm going to kind of second that and change it a little bit because not all dietitians are the same. And you really want to look at a functional medicine dietitian, somebody trained in this type of work because you really don't know what you're going to get otherwise. I think so. they should just see you. You're fantastic. Obviously. They should. Yeah. You can come see me. Um, I'll work with you. You know, if you want to just chat a little bit about it before we dive in, we can have a consult. Um, yeah. I'm ready for that. Stacy, it's been amazing. Thank you for another great episode. Yes. Thank you, Stacy. <laughs> thank you. Inspire and empower someone else by leaving a five-star review. So they can transform their lives too. 